0: Hello, this is Edges and Angles. We're a podcast made in Melbourne. I'm your host, Idwin. And I'm Ellen. And we've got two lovely producers with us. We're a small team. So Edges and Angles, as the name would
1: suggest, is a podcast where we explore the different angles of issues and maybe look at a perspective or find a voice that you haven't heard of or isn't given much of an
0: opportunity to shine. Mm, I see this as kind of like me getting up to date with some current affairs going on. Like there's a lot of stuff and issues that we hear about swirling in the mainstream but we kind of want to take different issues delve into them a bit more maybe listen to a few different ideas or perspectives that haven't really been heard and discuss further around those ideas so that's our basic premise um this is a bit of an experimentation please feel free we want this to be a deeply two-way podcast so please if there are any issues which you're like hmm i want to know more about or hmm this is usually represented wrong please send that in to us um we'll have all of our social media and email things down in the description below. And yeah. Let's get on to it. So we wanted to kick off this series with um, our first issue, which is looking into homelessness or rather the experiences of those at risk of homelessness. So we're looking here at the lived experience of housing insecurity and underrepresentation of it in our media and political discussions. We're going to be using the
1: language of people experiencing homelessness or hardship instead of homeless person,
0: just because homelessness isn't a trait that defines the entire person. Absolutely. And I mean, this is an issue really close to Melbourne, really close to Australia. We're not going to bore you with stats, but basically since the 2011-2016 census, uh, there has been a dramatic increase in people who are considered homelessness, which as we get into is quite a wide extent. Um, also within Melbourne, we've seen an increase of 720 rough sleepers in the past few years and a lot of different services who kind of work on the coal mine of homelessness uh, services have express that they've seen this increased pressure and increased demand uh, and this has obviously mirrored social trends and political economic trends such as increased cost of living increased housing affordability so these are sort of the factors we're going to be jumping into today and i think the issues like it's really important to talk about because it's one that we don't talk about often it doesn't really make the news mm. It isn't like there's not regular protests of people marching up and down like there might be for like climate change or something like that. And our pollies just really don't seem to be in touch with kind of the experiences that are happening out on the street. So it's something that we encounter in our daily lives and we often honestly walk past it and turn away from it. So I work near Southern Cross Station and
1: I get off the tram and I walk down Burke Street and I see it every day or every day before I, you know, didn't leave my house and it's something that while I saw it I wasn't I was kind of pushing the thought out of my mind and I think that's something a lot of us are guilty of and why we want to actually bring it to the forefront of people's minds Mm. that it's something that it does make us uncomfortable to think about it's something it's something we all know is an issue but whether or not we actually are
0: conscious of it and want to act on it is another issue totally and just before like Eleanor you just used the word guilty and I do want to like classify it, uh, or specify it. this is not an attack we're not going for an attack here genuinely something along the way from welfare to reality individuals who are experiencing homelessness really have become this caricature of the man sitting on the footpath with the sign that we all walk past we're not going with a like you're a bad person for doing this we're more so going with the angle of like there seems to be this fundamental disconnect stopping us or preventing us from addressing this issue adequately and I mean I think you really touch on it perfectly when you say that, like, there's a lot of sympathy and a lot of pity. We all feel very sorry for these individuals who have been forced into such a situation of uncertainty and danger and poverty. But it's also, like, this this sadness which is, like, mixed up with hopelessness, haplessness, not really sure where to make a start. There's, like, barriers to even addressing or even acknowledging the issue.
1: I don't think... I was going to say a pinch of indifference, but maybe indifference isn't the right word. That maybe it's... This feeling of being overwhelmed. That a lot of issues have clearer solutions, whether they're solutions that we, the people, or the government can make. But homelessness seems to be such an overarching issue that includes things with mental health, like the economy in general, housing. It can sometimes just be too overwhelming to think of as an issue. Mm.
0: You're right. There's so many different like aspects and angles towards the larger issue of like homelessness and housing and even hardship and like they're complex issues in and of themselves. Like no one's really figured out how to fix the economy yet. No one's really figured out how to fix issues like domestic violence, which is a massive part of this conversation. Um, so it really is quite a it really is quite a tricky one to tackle. That is what we're going to try and do in this episode, though. <laughs> as a nice little segue. You
1: know, we thought we'd be ambitious with the first episode, you know, go big or go. Yeah, home.
0: like oh, that's
1: a poor choice of words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you wanna say that again?
0: <laughs> Maybe be like, um <laughs> Yeah I suppose like homelessness really does get simplified to like sound bites often and it it gets generalized to this caricature, to these sort of, you know really blanket statements. So we're going to try to delve a little bit further into that, get some more insight, I suppose, into the complexity of the issue and hopefully get some better representation going. That That's kind of my aim, I suppose, within this this whole little shebang. Um, I, I think we did want to kind of prefix the episode with is obviously COVID-19 is a massive elephant in the room for this, this issue and in housing insecurity as it has kind of given rise to or or it's given greater visibility to people who are experiencing positions of housing insecurity.
1: And I think it's also brought it to the forefront of people's minds in a way that has never happened before. I think there's a lot of people who thought they would never have to worry about homelessness, but now it's become a very, very real concern for them. Mm. And I think that just goes to show how precarious housing security really is, Mm. that it all it takes is one bad day or one pandemic in this case to really just change
0: everyone's housing situation. Absolutely. It's like, um, it's the throwing up in the air of everything we had, like, you know, we thought these, uh, I think there's been a lot of shaking of like foundations for people. So a lot of assumptions that we have towards, you know, stable accommodation have been kind of thrown up in the air and a lot of people having to deal with the fallout. And of course. If that is you and you're listening to this podcast, please do know that we are acknowledging you in this podcast. Um, We're not trying to distract away from that, Uh, and we will be. Yeah, we will be covering these uh, COVID nineteen in a way within our episodes because it does bleed into absolutely every issue at the moment. Um, So we're going to be kind of keeping it in the, I I guess, in the periphery of this episode. But we're not going to be a Corona cast. (laughs) We will talk about it, but.
1: I mean, if you want a Corona podcast, I'm pretty sure the ABC
0: has a good one, so... The ABC's got you covered. Anywho, um, jumping into the episode, we wanted to really start off, I suppose, with, like, the main things you hear around homelessness and housing insecurity. So the main... uh, I suppose for me, I break it down as, like, the main words, stories, and, like, stigmas you have attached to homelessness and housing insecurity. Um, I don't know if you've, like, encountered this, Eleanor, but, like... Honestly, through the research, through just watching national conversation, there's often a way that we talk about individuals who are in a position of housing uncertainty, I suppose. It's kind of odd how this caricature has emerged from what is an extraordinarily complex and varied circumstance. I mean, the words that I've seen used in public discourse that I was noting down in leading up to this was things like doll bludgers, druggies, disadvantage, low socioeconomic you know, status. And it, it was interesting because it was divided between two types of rhetoric. They were like overly obviously stigmatized pieces of rhetoric and really negative connotations like dull bludger, job snob, that sort of stuff. And on the other hand, there was like really clinical terms like low socioeconomic status. Mm. It really did um, strip the person of their individuality and kind of make it more about this classification that they've been given. And ultimately, all of these words kind of surmised up to a really dehumanization of people in this position. Um, And this is reflected, I suppose, in the stories that we hear we usually, like when when the media does a report or their, their five minute bit on homelessness, they refer to the homeless person. And that's super problematic because it refocuses away from the struggles and misfortunes or, you know, issues that are going on with that person's life to instead put them in the, negative, in the negative, like you're not an individual experiencing a rough time, you're defined by it. And I suppose all these words and stories kind of feed into the misconceptions that we often hold around homelessness. I mean, I was talking to someone the other day and they were saying to me, you know, or if I was like in a position of, you know, housing insecurity, for want of a better word, um, oh, well, I'd probably go try and get a job or I'd get onto welfare or I'd like be proactive. And it was a really dangerous sort of assumption or expectation put on the individual because it assumes that people who are in these positions aren't doing enough to get themselves out of it. It's like, well, you should try to get a stable home and, you know, try to have housing well, what happens if you don't have the financial foundation or you don't have a parent looking out for you or you don't have access to those base resources which have become assumed in our society? And I think that's where the fundamental disconnect comes. We forget that homelessness manifests in
1: different ways. I think couch surfing is the big one, that we don't think of couch surfing as experiencing homelessness. I was in Germany over the summer and I was talking to my host mum about it and she was just asking about like how Australia deals with homelessness as a crisis and I said that we're finding it quite difficult because a lot of the people that are experiencing it aren't experiencing it in a necessarily visible way and look I don't know if it was like maybe a language barrier or a cultural barrier but she kind of said to me like oh we don't think of like couch surfing as homelessness and I think that's like quite I don't know what the word is I'd like I don't want to say eye-opening but kind of It
0: really shows where the gaps in our knowledge are. Totally. It's really brought up well with this idea of hidden homelessness um, that we're going to touch on in a moment. But looking at kind of the organisations that surround homelessness service, I I thought you picked out a really great one, Eleanor, with Kids Undercover, looks at all those moments where an individual or an underage child might be living in a house which is unstable or unsafe for a reason and needs somewhere else to stay for a night. And it really covers, for me, all those moments in between risk or all those moments between family breakdowns and in those moments of need where it provides, like, a different alternative. And it's just something that we don't really provide in society usually.
1: Yeah, so the great thing about Kids Undercover is that they will go and build studio apartments in the backyard of existing houses. So people still get to maintain those family connections, but if there is overcrowding, they've alleviated that. Mm. And I think one of the great things about Kids Undercover is that they've really listened to what young people who might be going through this hardship need instead of just being like oh we know what's good we're going to give
0: you this this and this i think this like listening to needs is really important because when we don't people fall through the cracks i was going through the legal aid submission to the victorian homelessness inquiry which is due to be released later this year and it's like looking into victoria's state of homelessness etc and there was this anecdote which stated and i'll read it out now That the real catch-22 is that a lot of social support and homelessness support agencies can't help me because I'm not considered in their area. I don't have a fixed address and I move around a lot. So a lot of agencies won't have me on the books. I'm just stuck getting help bit by bit. I'm not even getting temporary help anymore. I've exhausted all the resources. So that's obviously an individual who's been experiencing, you know, long-term housing insecurity. But it's just one of those examples where it's like, because we have this narrow perception of what constitutes homelessness or a housing insecurity experience, we have all these assumed solutions and systems in place which completely ignores the individual and kind of like the changing situations an individual will experience within housing insecurity.
1: Yeah, and what really stood out to me about that anecdote you just read was the fact that if this person is seeking out temporary solutions or any sort of help for dealing with hardship, don't you think those resources that are maybe targeting people experiencing homelessness should know that these people don't
0: have a fixed address. I know. I know that was that was a bit mind-boggling for me too. But it's a it's yeah. actually sadly the case with a lot of social services is there's like these weird loopholes that you have to jump through which again completely ignore reality. So concluding all these misconceptions, um, we actually got Ellen from HOMEY, which is an organization based in Fitzroy, which provides clothing line and products. All of the proceeds go back to funding youth in positions of hardship and working towards like providing them with jobs, skills and job readiness so they can go out and like, you know, be empowered, and independent without this idea of like, you know, change rather than charity kind of thing. We've got a few clips from Ellen that we're going to play now just because it's really great to listen to her and her insight working with, you know, individuals who have experienced hardship and some of the I suppose non-constructive attitudes that exist in society, some of the potential solutions that we need to be like further looking into and etc. I'll, I'll throw over to Ellen cuz she says it much better.
2: I'm Ellen. I'm the social impact manager at Homey and I've been with Homey since we started, so part of the founding team. So it's been a big 5 years for us. Um, we are a social enterprise in Fitz, based in Fitzroy, and our mission is to support young people affected by homelessness or hardship, to equip them with skills, confidence and experiences to be more work ready and ultimately better prepared for their future. When we first started out, that's been a massive learning experience for us, the use of language. Um, when we first started out, we were, using the term homelessness, um, we were working Mm. with a different cohort to who we're working with now. So we, yeah, we ran a program in our Melbourne Central store. It's a VIP day, we call it. And we still run that program now, but we used to host um, shopping days where people experiencing homelessness were our VIPs for the day. And they would come into the store, um, go shopping for free, Everyone gets five items of homey clothing. We have haircuts, beauty services, food, coffee, and it's just an awesome day. So we still run that uh, once a month. But we was, yeah, that was our primary service and it was for people experiencing homelessness, people who were living rough in the city and kind of in, more in that demographic. As we grew as a business, we started to run a program called the Homey Pathway Alliance. And this was where we kind of moved from that service that we were providing before to a more youth focused service and we started to run an employment program because some of the young people who were coming in for our VIP days were asking us like can we work in the shop you know it's awesome to get the free clothes but really what we want is work experience so that's how we started the program just kind of from listening to the young people that we were meeting and for the first couple of years of running this program it was a program for young people experiencing homelessness and as we got to know the guys and you know we spent a lot of time with the young people in the programs and they they were kind of like you know what the word homelessness doesn't really the word homeless doesn't really sit that well with me like they had trouble identifying with that term because of the stigma associated with that term so the young people, you know, we, we were brainstorming and kind of trying to come up with something that they felt more comfortable with that captures more of this experience of homelessness, which is a lot different to what the public perception is. So that's when we added in the word hardship. Um, wow. We always say that it's an experience that people can move through. That's why we say, or it's something that you're affected by. Um, so we'd say use the term affected by homelessness or hardship, rather than just a homeless person. You're kind of like, you know, really sticking someone with a tag. So yeah, language is really important to us. And we've over the last few years, we've really worked closely with the people in our programs to make sure that they're comfortable identifying with it. And it kind of encapsulates lots of different experiences, not just that stigma of sleeping rough in the city, I guess. The misconceptions just comes from the visibility, I think people sleeping rough, that's what visible homelessness is. And if you don't see, people don't see the other experiences that people are having with homelessness. Um, what we've found, especially with working with young people is their stories are so different to what you would imagine or what this common stereotype is. Um, I mean, the commons, one of the most common stereotypes you see or hear from people is tr- drug and alcohol use and abuse um and that's just not the case like working with under 25s the main cause of homelessness is family breakdown and domestic violence um you know we've got 70 percent of young people experiencing or affected by homelessness is from they've left their homes because of domestic violence so i think that's one of the main stigmas that people don't understand when you thinking about a young person who's leaving a unstable home life or an unsafe home life, Um, the options are pretty limited in terms of affordable housing for a, say a 17 or 18 year old. Um, But yeah, people find them, people are kind of outside of that primary rough sleeping are kind of in their secondary and tertiary stages of, Homelessness, which is um, staying with friends, moving around a lot, couch surfing is a big one, overcrowded dwellings, staying in refuges and kind of insecure housing. So something that's, you know, you're not sure how long it's going to last. So that's the, they're the cases of um, homelessness that people don't see, um, but that's what most young people experiencing homelessness are. of working with we're working with young people at homey who are a little bit beyond that stage so who have been affected by homelessness but are now in a position where they are able to work they have the stability in their lives where they're able to come to work and be a part of the program that we run um so they're staying in some staying with family and friends still, but they're at risk of homelessness or have been affected in the past. But a lot of young people are staying in um, supported housing. So discounted housing and um, in housing, like launch foyers. So it's like an education first youth foyer where young people affected by homelessness can kind of stay. It's like a uni residence Um, and you can stay there as long as you're engaged with employment or education. So there's just so many different experiences. Like we've got, Currently, twelve people in our cohort, and they all have just such different experiences, such different pathways to homelessness. All of their home lives like look different. Um, yeah, it's just like it's, it's just a, such a such a more diverse thing than people realize. The beauty of our program, I think, our employment program, the Pathway Alliance, is that it was born from a genuine request from someone who we were supporting, um, and the whole way through the program we have changed and adjusted so many things that we do because we've listened to the people that are in the programs. And we'll sit down with the young people and have workshops and have, like we make genuine friendships and connections with our crew. And so there's an honest open dialogue of them being like, you know what, that thing that you guys ran last week, that was really crap. Like (laughs) we want something more exciting or like that doesn't work or we want to go here, we want to learn this. Um, So I think that's one of the strengths of our program is really to listen. And I think it's because, yeah, we've been open to feedback and open to change and not too set on our ideas. So I think, yeah, when you kind of go in without talking to the people that you're aiming to support, you can come up with this idea of what you think could help them um, or a way that you can support them. But like you're sitting in a different place to them and you actually need to ask that person, like, what do you guys need? What's actually going to support you? Cause like, I think a group of people sitting in an office who haven't, you know, had lived experience and come up with a program, um, maybe don't know what that group actually wants or needs. We trust and believe that these young people have what it takes um, to get to where they want to be and that they need the opportunity. Like, we've never positioned ourselves as, like, we're helping and we're giving you this. And um, it's always been these guys have the skills, these, these guys have the drive, they've got the motivation, they've got what they need within themselves, and they just need an opportunity. And that's kind of like we're living in a structurally you know, it's structural disadvantage. So if you get, give these guys an opportunity to thrive, then they will. Like that's always been our kind of approach um, is we're giving, we're the springboard, I guess. We're going to offer you guys the opportunity. Um, and, but they're the ones who are kind of um, grabbing the bull by the horns and going to make things happen. I guess when you're looking at the, Systems that some of the young people are coming through that's are leading to homelessness. Like the causes of homelessness are family violence, family breakdown, and also just intergenerational poverty um, and physical and mental health issues. So, kind of thinking about a young person who has grown up in the very very outer suburbs of a town or in a small town. Um, you know, there's not much support in their family. Maybe their family doesn't have um, very, you know, maybe their mental health in their family is not that stable. Maybe they haven't, like, don't have access to opportunities. They live really far away from a train station. Like, education is not prioritised in their home. Like, that's a structural issue. Like, if you have a young person who's grown up in a situation like that, they don't have the same opportunities as people who've kind of grown up in a very privileged environment so that's what I kind of mean when I talk about the structural element of disadvantage and homelessness where like some young people just don't have the opportunities that they need to you know kick start their working life and so that's where we try to step in I guess because there are such like heavy long-term effects of going through homelessness at a young age like impacts it has on your mental health, on your on your self-esteem, on the opportunities you have, on your physical health, um, on, you know, finish, finishing education, like there's this kind of few years in your adolescence where it can be such a pivotal point for the rest of your life and I think as well, once you have advantage, it's quite hard to get out of it because you know education costs money housing costs money um mental health support costs money so i think yeah it's it's really important to have support early on so that you can kind of intercept at a point where someone can still access the things that they need to kind of set themselves up for the long term and i mean when we kind of talk about the the stigma of drug and alcohol use um that stuff comes later on in the journey. Like it's not something that's really prevalent in young people affected by homelessness because people use it as a coping mechanism, right? Like people use that stuff later down in the homelessness um, experience to cope with things that have happened earlier on in their life or the situation that they're in now. So, yeah, it's just really, really important to, to work with people early on. So they don't kind of get entrenched in that system. When people kind of looking to um, like solving homelessness, it's such an easy thing to be like, this is what we need to do. And you know, this plan will suit every person. But as I kind of spoke about before, in terms of the group that we have, everyone has such different experiences. Everyone has a different pathway to homelessness. And we've got a group of 12 out of, you know, the 20, 5,000 people in Victoria experiencing homelessness um and they all have a such a different experience and so they and they have such different needs from us as well so like we work at an individual level with each person on their individual goals on their individual challenges and that is just such an important approach um because everyone's different and everyone has different needs and different skills and different dreams. And um, yeah, I think it's really important to kind of take that individual approach and make sure that you're working with that person and listening to what they say and acknowledging that they're their own person and that you can't, um, what I, you know, how I work with George isn't going to be a great, maybe not a great approach or a great strategy for how you work with Jenny. you know, you have to just meet that person where they are, be like, what do you need? And what do you want? What I get frustrated most with is people not giving other people a chance in the sense that, or not taking people's backgrounds into account when you're meeting them. Um, Being quick to judge, I guess. So, you know, we might have Um, a young person who comes to their first day with us and they're a bit prickly and a bit nervous and a bit shy and a bit scared of what's going on. And because of the experiences they've had in the past, they might seem cold or they might seem like they're not interested. And I think just like giving that person a window for them to get more comfortable, for us to think about why they might be acting how they are and just giving them a chance to turn that around and come back to us in a few weeks and get more comfortable and trusting and open. You just see that they're just this wonderful, amazing person. And so it really frustrates me when you see a young person coming in and going, you know, maybe they're disengaged. Maybe they're, they they do not seem that excited. Um, yeah it frustrates me when people can't see beyond that and can't think like why is this person acting how they are i'm going to take into account all the shit that they've been through and i'm just giving going to give them some time to settle in that's what really frustrates me um and people you know people who are working in the space understand that you know understand kind of trauma-informed practices um but yeah in the kind of mainstream employment there's not as much empathy and there's not as much curiosity. Like when someone shows up to work with us, if they're late, we go, Hey, what's up? What happened? Are you okay? But in a mainstream employment situation, someone might show up late to work and you're like, don't bother coming in tomorrow. Like it's kind of just missing that empathy, missing that curiosity. And the understanding that like people are going through shit. So (laughs) So you've got this like line where like, down here is like preventing homelessness, and down here is like drug and alcohol rehab and prison and whatever it is. Like, mm, mm. money needs to go into affordable housing. Like, money needs to go into affordable housing. There's just, you're not going to solve homelessness without affordable housing. And then from that, it's affordable housing, access to education and employment, addressing mental health and creating community. Like, those are the pillars. And like, putting money, mm. that's you know, that's preventative, that's assertive. Putting money into reactionary stuff when people are already kind of entrenched in this system. It's shit. It does it's yeah. Talk about it all day. It doesn't work. <laughs> I don't want to go on here and rage though, right? I'm like, I'm gonna stay really chill and I'm gonna be really calm. And I'm gonna very going to fair go, go on any rage tangents. <laughs> Probably what I wanted to talk about was kind of the distinction between like what we do and what some of the other services do because I don't want to take away from services who are doing frontline work. So I guess at home, this is kind of what we're talking about, right? That kind of where people are intercepting um, and we're intercepting at a point with young people who've been affected by homelessness, who are ready for employment and for that kind of employment education level. Um, but. And that is really, really important and a really important approach. But also we need frontline services and we need people who are providing emergency housing and who are providing hot meals and showers and crisis response. Um, so like, I don't want to take away from from that very, very important work because um, it's very much needed and a lot of our partners, um, we couldn't do what we do without our partners who our community service partners who work in those spaces.
0: I know from my own experience working within a social organisation, it's really hard when people don't have like that one document you need to help them or, you know, with being in a position of homelessness, it's really hard when there isn't a postcode or the ability to have a Mikey because all of a sudden there's like these assumptions that we have, you know, as in like, you know, oh, well, we'll we be able to just call them those sort of things are cut off. So it's really hard to address because it is so individual, it's so based on the individual and what the individual needs. And Ellen really brought that back to me when she's like, you have to think about, okay, what does George as opposed to Jenny need <laughs> and work to those specifications because it really, it needs to have that level of flexibility, which I just don't think we have either within our perception around homelessness or within our solutions that we currently have towards it. And I, I suppose it, it brings up this really hard question, which we're not going to necessarily answer in this podcast alone, which is like, to what extent is the government or organisations responsible for this issue and to what extent? Um, I mean, we'll I, I suppose we'll hypothesise towards the end of the episode, but I kind of want people just to take away and think about it. Like, to what what do you think needs to be the solution or the approach? Anyway, anyway. Um we thought we'd
1: Yeah, asking the big questions that I don't I don't think we have the brain power for, but you know, maybe we can we can think
0: of something. <laughs> yeah, well I I mean homie provides one option, Kids Undercover provides another. There's a lot of different solutions which we thought we'd conclude this episode with, but it's just kind of starting I suppose it's getting the ball rolling with considering how we want to approach this issue. And I think Homie's really a great example because they say, Look, empathy first, empowerment first, don't talk down to these individuals listen to these individuals and create your support networks off their individual needs so I don't know very cool and the bonus
1: about homie is that their clothes are really really cool and I really want some
0: (laughs) very true um touching on that I suppose we wanted to jump in now to the ideas of like these external these external things that can push someone into positions of homelessness or housing insecurity um and I suppose that the things that can affect this issue are again what we said before: issues that affect us all, like for example, legal security of tenure or the availability of services, materials, or facilities. I know a lot of us are struggling at the moment with affordability or accessibility to housing, um, as well as stuff like location and you know cultural adequacy. Like these are all considerations which go into you know an individual being able to access safe, stable accommodation. Um, and I suppose again, touching back on like COVID nineteen right now. COVID-19's really raised the visibility of these issues like it, it's really emphasized to people how much these things that we assume you know that go into our daily lives how much these things that we assume are not given things and can be taken away like for example um, rent you know it's it's expected that you pay your rent on time well COVID-19's kind of put an end to that for a lot of people and so that's why for example the rental freezes that Victoria and a lot of states introduced were so important because it kind of it recognised that there's not always going to be situations when you can provide that sort of, you know, that, that, that given.
1: So I think what you've brought up, Eidwin, is really important with this rental freezers thing. And we're seeing, we're actually seeing some government action, you know, it might not be enough. It's definitely temporary. And I think one of the examples of that is that hotels, who would usually be full up with business people and tourists from around Australia and the world, are now being occupied by people experiencing homelessness. And I remember like hearing about this on the news and it kind of being applauded as like a super genius and an inventive idea. Yeah, it might be a good idea for now, but what's going to happen in six months when those hotels start getting booked up again?
0: Yeah, for me, like touching on that point, Eleanor, I was actually talking to uh, Fiona Patton from the Reason Party about this. And Fiona Patton framed it like this. And I thought this kind of worked well. She was like, okay, during COVID-19, there's been a few opportunities born out of crisis, one of which has been putting individuals in, you know, stable accommodation temporarily. However, that does kind of also bring it back to the idea for me that other solutions like public housing and proper investment in public housing, you know, 20 years prior would have also provided a solution and perhaps a much less temporary solution, right? So it's been a bit problematic seeing some of the government action in this area because whilst it's like, yes, 100% good good addressing to an issue, it's still like, we still have a very transient short-term view of dealing with this issue. And it's like just grabbing the housing statistics, like currently there are 82,000 Victorians waiting for housing. Thirty. 30,000 of which are like on emergency, primary emergency applications. So it creates this idea of scale and scope of the issue, doesn't it? When it's kind of like the news is going, okay, well, we're housing these people because we have, you know, empty hotel rooms. And it's like, great, cool. But there's still this massive backlog of issues and, and, and individuals who are still in this positions of uncertainty and still living literally paycheck to paycheck it's it's how these people find themselves in positions of homelessness like this and we've already covered the fact that it's varied and it's highly contextual and like there are long-term issues and there are short-term triggers and it's really gray and that's what I circle back to with housing insecurity and that's why I use housing security over homelessness to tell you the truth is it's like, I think it describes the issue a little bit better. It's like, It's that situation where it might be you might be unsure as to where you're going to sleep—not tonight, but you know, in a few nights' time, or in a week, or in two months. It might be just you, and you might be able to just go. Oh, I'll stay over at my friend's, or it might be you and your young child. Like, there's just so many varied issues. So, I mean, whilst it's great for us to pontificate about the causes or what experiences might be like for individuals we don't often listen to the lived experience so in making this episode we actually reached out to contact people who are in that gray space of housing insecurity and to share their stories so I'm actually going to throw to Jane now who talks about her situation with housing insecurity how it's affected her and I suppose it's just one example of how diverse housing insecurity situations can be this is only one example but yeah I, I wanted to include Jane's experience because it gives a great insight, I suppose, into how holistic the effects are and also what we in very lucky situations with housing security don't understand about the whole issue.
3: My experience with housing insecurity has been a mess. Um, With me being trans and my parents originally not being very accepting of me, I was pushed into a situation where I didn't know if tomorrow was gonna be my last day living in a house, it still gets to me now, and I have anxiety attacks sometimes. You know, sometimes even a knock on my door to my room scares me. I wish people realized that even in supposedly good families, that things like aggression over tiny little things or things that don't actually look like they're much, are still abusive situations and they could be a lot bigger under the surface than they may appear. I've also been downplayed a lot, um, I won't go too into detail, but when I try to tell people about my struggles sometimes they laugh it off saying that I have it worse, which I get from the outside perspective is it probably looks like that, but it really isn't.
0: So I don't want to directly reflect on Jane's experiences. I want them to stand alone because I think, especially in this case, often we talk over the voices rather than listening to people who have gone through real experiences. But I will say this. I think it brings up the two paycheck analogy, which is the idea that any person without two paychecks worth, you know, two weeks worth of paychecks can find themselves in a position of insecurity. And now if you're a rich income family, two paychecks, it might not be a big deal. But if you're already kind of, in that position of you know with the mortgage or with the rent or with with those certain financial pressures losing two paychecks worth of income is what throws you into this greater uncertainty and instability and it's a really important thing for us all to realize that we can all be in this position for us it could be you know an injury or it could be sudden loss of accommodation overseas while we're staying somewhere or it could be something like covid-19 so i guess what you're kind of
1: looking at Idwin is just looking at picking up on cues and clues that friends might be giving or family or whoever's in your circles and just listening to them. And then if you're starting to get worried, just maybe asking them, what do they want? Instead of presuming that maybe everything's okay or presuming that they've got it all sorted out. And, you know, sometimes that means like, you've got to be honest with yourself and your friend that, you know, you're not going to be able to solve everything because at the end of the day, this problem is just ridiculously large and complicated but I think having someone who's in your corner it's not going to solve everything but it might make things are just a little bit more manageable so while there are these like short-term insecurity risk of abuse cut off from education and relationship which may go on for ex- like extended periods of time but it's still more of like an immediate rather than The long-term effects, which to people's health, like cortisol depression, poor nutrition, poor dental health, uh, lack of access to then fixing those issues like PTV, health services, welfare, uh, loss of employment. It just kind of emphasizes these issues in the long term. It's a trickle down. Like these short-term problems then just grow and grow and grow until they're things that will be experienced for years to come, even if the person is able to leave
0: this state of insecurity. Mm. It's one thing that Ellen said with like trauma-informed practice. Anyone who's experienced hardship in a form has got a certain amount of trauma in their, in, in their experience, in their lived experience, and it can result in feelings of shame or guilt, stereotypes and stigmas, and it can often be internalised by the individual, leaving individuals with decreased senses of worth or ability. It affects the most basic of need, right? Um, leading up to this episode, our producer said that it, effectively it cuts the core of a person. Nothing can be achieved whilst this baseline question of, like, the need for shelter it remains unanswered. It stays in the back of your head as a niggling sort of persisting issue that overwhelms and takes over, really, any sort of conscious thought. It can be demeaning. It can be degrading. And ultimately, as we've seen throughout this, you know, kind of throughout this episode, it can be dehumanizing it's this constant state of insecurity which people are kind of held in and it can ultimately result in long long reaching effects that i don't think we even really understand and definitely within our treatment and again this like i've seen this firsthand in social services we are not trauma informed in our daily communication so What happens is even when people find themselves, you know, are able to get themselves out of these situations or finally move out of these situations, these are still issues that constantly go on and there's never a fix, right? So it's just this question of how we communicate, how we treat people and how we recognize these experiences and the long-term effects they have. And I mean, again... It's an overwhelming task because it's such a diverse case-by-case thing. But it's something that we can't shy away from. It's something that we do need to know the stats on. We do need to have education on. And we need to have awareness to, you know, as Ellen said, why an individual might appear cold. It's not because they're being unfair or it's nothing to do with you personally. It is because that person has had experiences that have built up to this moment. So to fix this issue, we ultimately need to see a system overhaul. It's great for us to talk about organisations and individuals and what we can do to look after it and how you can listen out for your friends. But ultimately, this is going to require change from a government level. And I I want to read out the recommendations that have been put to the Victorian state by Legal Aid, which is an organisation that provides legal services to those who can't afford it, calling for urgent reforms to tackle the cycle of homelessness. And they include, one an increase to the supply of safe, stable, and affordable housing. Two, to prevent people entering the justice system because of homelessness and poverty. Three, a legal service system that prevents evictions into homelessness. Four, better ways to prevent and respond to homelessness in the child protection system. And five, strengthen our social safety net and tackle discrimination as a cause and consequence of homelessness. And for me, this just reiterates the fact that it's like, we have to see change in our policy and our politicians. We have to see a change in tone and in direction towards how we address these individuals because at the moment what we are doing is we are discriminating against them. We're dehumanizing them. We're degrading them. And we're allowing individuals who are already in extraordinarily high positions of insecurity and vulnerability to bounce into certain other systems like you know, police, justice, prison, and kind of ricochet off that. And we know that these sorts of, you know, interactions that individuals have who are already with a foundation of housing insecurity, when they have interactions with these other systems, such as our justice system or such as our criminal system, we know that the cycle just continues and that we keep these individuals in a state of deprivation and move them away from being, you know, from, from rehabilitative services. So really, ultimately, we have to move from this crisis intervention to more of a preventative approach. So change must come from the top down. In the meantime, though, we do have some stuff we can do as individuals and some organizations that we wanted to conclude this podcast on. So we weren't just going to be, you know, didn't want to just leave you twiddling your thumbs.
1: In terms of organizations you can support, Ellen from Homie said the best way to support Homie is to buy a shirt. And you know what you get out of that? A really cool shirt from Homie. And the fact that you know that all that money is going towards an actual good cause instead of something like fast fashion. But that's a completely different issue. You can also volunteer or provide funds for something like Orange Sky Laundry, which are concerned with making sure that people experiencing homelessness are living with dignity, having showers, being able to wash their clothes, just kind of basic things that you and I might take for granted. And another organisation concerned with dignity is Share the Dignity.
0: And what they're all about is ensuring that women have sanitary products for a different alternative I think it's also important to be listening to the voices of individuals going through these experiences and obviously putting lived experience and platforming lived experience so I can definitely recommend you um, the 3CR Ruminations show which is 855 on your a.m. dial it goes every Thursday from 12 p.m. and it's run by current and former rooming house residents and individuals who have experienced homelessness it also features interviews community events and issues that are currently going on It's very easy to feel sympathetic. It's very easy to pity someone, but that also positions that person away from us and it's an extraordinarily entitled place to be. And I don't, you mean that as one of those buzzwords where it's like you're entitled and, you know, or you're privileged and, you know, feel bad. I mean more so like society's built us up to disconnect people who we don't empathize with. So it's really important seeing an issue from the other person's perspective, that tired old analogy of putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. I think the other really main key takeaway that I get is um, all of us need to get a little bit more involved in advocacy for people who are in these positions of housing insecurity and people who are experiencing homelessness. Because as I said before, like homelessness cuts the core of the person and most people in positions, in these grey positions of housing insecurity, don't necessarily have the time or free time or capacity even to speak out about their situation. And we need to make sure that, I mean, those who do, we are platforming and we're, we're getting greater visibility for these real life experiences, but also that we as individuals are listening to their concerns and pressuring our spaces to 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 listen to them. So we need to be pushing for these preventative measures. We need to be pushing for, as both Ellen and the, and Legal Aid suggested, we need to be pushing for public housing. We need to be supporting these individuals and trying to s- stay away from those nasty misconceptions or things that are being thrown around by sometimes media, sometimes politicians, sometimes ourselves. Like we need to really think about our attitudes and figure out if they actually represent the individual and the reality, I suppose. There's no really one certain fix, but there is a good place to start. And this is the elephant in the room that I want to get out of the way of. To fix this issue, we need to see a system overhaul. Currently our government is really tone deaf to this issue I mean Scott Morrison usually refers to Australians under the doctrine of give a go to get a go which provides this whole weird transactional citizenship where it's basically like if you support Australia you deserve to get our support and the problem is especially for people who are in positions of homelessness or housing insecurity That's just not the case and it's honestly insulting to say to them, well, you're just not trying hard enough for Australia. You know, it's kind of wrapped up in this nationalistic zeal and we see it repeated time and time again, whether it's Frydenberg's story of, you know, get a wife, get a good job and these assumptions that these resources are accessible and available to all individuals and like any of the external issues that we've referenced in this episode, like they don't merely exist. So... I suppose with looking at currently how our situation is at the moment, public housing and assertive address towards homelessness just really is lacking far behind. And nowhere is that more evident than in Victoria. Currently in Victoria, the public housing sector hasn't grown since 2001. In fact, it's actually decreased in the amount of available dwellings for individuals. We're seeing these massive rises in homelessness statistics across the country. And we're seeing our government kind of be like, "Mm, okay, we're going to address about one-tenth of the issue. So I suppose within providing a solution to this whole thing, it's going to require change from a government level. It's going to require massive overhaul of the attitudes the tone and the policies that we currently have in place and it needs to listen to the individuals the individuals people who are experiencing homelessness or working in the services are saying over and over again we need to move towards more preventative systems which requires a political will that would put investment in like 20 year long policy rather than three year election term policy we need to see a move into um decriminalizing homelessness i mean talking about the attitudes of you know dull bludger druggies shit like that like We need to shift away from this thing where we blame the individual for the situation they've found themselves and we need to make sure that when individuals who are in these positions are interacting with services like the justice system, prison systems, the police, that they're not discriminated against because of being homeless, which is something, again, by far we see a huge amount of. I mean, usually in attacks where an individual experiencing homelessness is involved, usually the attack or the abuse is being perpetrated towards the person who's experiencing homelessness, not against the person who is in a position of stability. We need to see increased accessibility and availability of these services. And under the Liberal Coalition, that's that's not likely to happen. We've seen time and time again, cuts to public housing, cuts to social welfare safety networks. So these are just some, some of the issues within this complex thing that we need to change. And I mean, I want to finish off with Legal Aid's call for urgent reforms to the Victorian government to tackle some of these areas. And they include the need to increase the supply of safe, stable, and affordable housing, the need to prevent people from entering the justice system because of homelessness and poverty, a legal service that is prepared to help prevent evictions of people into homelessness, better ways to prevent and respond to homelessness in the child protection systems, that's like the 20-year thing I was talking about, a need to strengthen our social safety net, and a need primarily to tackle discrimination as a cause and consequence of homelessness. We've listed a few different solutions. We'll definitely put them down on our Instagram. If you haven't checked us out, we are actually on Instagram under um, Edges and Angles Podcast, I believe. <laughs> also, feel free, we, we'd like within this podcast, after dealing with such heavy topics, we'll also put down a few helplines within our Instagram if anything within this episode did distress you or bring up anything for you. Um, we'd also really love to hear your thoughts and your expectations or issues that you're interested in obviously where we've conducted researching around this topic for a few weeks now but we'd like our future episodes to be informed by what people want to know about because this is a learning experience for all of us and so we've also got an email edges and angles podcast at gmail.com blah 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 where we'd like to hear from you guys and hear you know what, what was your thoughts um on today's episode your experiences were some of these organizations cool do you want to go volunteer at them i know i do um and yeah, any further future issues you might want to learn more about and we could potentially investigate. So thank you so much for tuning in today and I hope you wanna listen to the next episode after this one. And thanks Edges and Angles is a podcast written, directed and produced by Idwin Jeffrey, Alan Dawson, Stella Mollica and Dante Mickey. Follow us at Edges and Angles Podcast on
2: Instagram.